0: The you are
1: listening to
0: What
1: the
2: Drive.
1: Are you ready to truck it? Welcome to Friday. Welcome to your Nooner with Dooner. What a morning. Freight, freight news has been just insane since June. It all started with yellow all the way up to... Today, where a little later we'll be talking about a UAW strike. But before we even get there, I have a huge announcement. We've got a brand new co-host on what the truck. He's going to be joining us next week. Let's take a look. you got to hear that chainsaw. So... Bed Bath & Beyond, R.I.P. They've turned ours in Chattanooga to a spirit Halloween. I was down there the other day. I ran into this animatronic Leatherface. I put his video out on uh, LinkedIn and, and X, and I was like, man, I would do anything to get myself a Leatherface. Um, so Carrie Danucci, thank you very much. Carrie from Armstrong Transport, she was like, hey... Throw an Armstrong logo on the chainsaw, and I'll send you one for the set. So, Carrie, thank you. She sent me the tracking. Leatherface is going to show up. He'll either be on the show Monday or starting Wednesday to kick off our Halloween season. Bubba, you're welcome on the stage with me anytime. I can't wait till he he gets here. Um, Quick announcement. We're coming to the end of driver appreciation. We Convoy does their Hall Stars everywhere. They, They honored a bunch of drivers, but they also honor mediocre podcasters once in a while. I got my own card right here. They called me the Golden Mike industry since 2005. Hey, thank you, Dan Lewis and the team. I appreciate that a lot. They uh, give a number of carriers. One thing I found interesting, though, was what EVs a company that runs for them, and they pulled five loads. Five loads. I wonder if more EVs will be pulling as things grow. It'll be interesting to see. Where that number happens, Uh, a new report came out from the information that said Flexport's revenue fell nearly seventy percent in the first half of the year to seven hundred million as the company burned through cash. I've gotten some uh, spy footage of Ryan Peterson and Doug Clark's final meeting before things fell apart.
3: I (sighs) am. I'm only burning my half. It's not
4: about money. It's about sending a message.
1: Got to get costs under control there. I used to sell boxes before. Not a ton of margin in boxes, especially in a low freight market. I think it was like... I don't know, maybe $100, $200 per box. You get to sell a lot on volume. It's a lot like selling truckload freight. It's hard to make a buck in that racket. Craig Fuller said, so many fo- so many folks in venture and startups are shocked by this. They shouldn't be. Freight is a commodity and gross revenue is tied to two metrics, rate and volume. The freight data has been signaling this coming since Q2 2022, especially for a sonar user. You know that or you're watcher of this particular show. Both have contracted significantly in the freight market this year. Flexport isn't the only firm facing this. Any company disrupting freight that monetizes through load matching is facing this same pressure right now. Digital freight matching firms shouldn't have been valued based on top line, but the worst is yet to come. Margins are always based on what, the, uh, what part of the market cycle we are in. And as the market improves, margins will compress for many of these farm firms. Some won't survive. Um, Andrew Teal says, "I agree. I think what also surprises people is the marketing in a lot of freight tech. Two or five years ago, was we level out the instability, lower and know your spend, be able to forecast accurately. And the second the market dips, they're in trouble. The promise stability, they promise stability and vol- in volatility for their customers, but can't navigate the volatility for themselves." A Flexport employee actually reached out and they said Dave had increasing burn. Uh, Maybe he thought he had the Bezos funding and I guess that's why Ryan has stepped back in. A lot to fix over there. It's been a bad week for Freight Tech. Project 44's founder, Jet McCandless, he also has an op-ed up on Freight Waves. They had some layoffs. Go check it out. He wrote and explained what happened there. And there's one other article on FreightWaves.com I want to send you to. Paper logs are back in. Ransomware attack hit Orbcom. Um, ELDs, a lot of people can't get into them. Supposedly won't be until the end of September that these are fixed. So keep in mind on that. A lot of great stories on FreightWaves.com. We won't get them all today. So go to the site. But on today's show, coming up on deck, I'm talking to NASA about the logistics of the Artemis mission to the moon. We're speaking with NASA's Doug Leinhart, who is the supply chain leader for the Orion capsules, which are going to take us back. We are going on that Artemis mission. We got Larry Long in the house today. He's the CEO over at General Truck Inc. He's going to break down this whole UAW strike for us. Supposedly, it's going to cost the industry billions. There's 13,000 workers who walked off the job last night, we will find out what's going to be happening with that. Michael Tatarowicz, he's Enterprise Sales Team at Uber for Business. He's going to talk about how Uber, Uber for Business is helping drivers get where they need to go when they're parked, how this aids in driver retention. Great little message for National Truck Driver Appreciation Week. And maybe we'll have, truck dru- tr- we'll have Trucker attack Doc gaming here. He's going to tell drivers how to eat on the road. And a bunch of other stuff. So let's tip the band and we'll get to it. No ride, no app, no problem. With Uber Central on Uber for Business, you can help your drivers get where they need to go after dropping off the truck. Schedule rides, control costs, and access twenty four seven support in an easy to use dashboard. Learn more over at Uber for Business. All right, let's take let's take a look at a video to set the table for our next guest.
3: Our return to the moon will be different than the
4: last time. We plan to explore more of the lunar surface and the learn. The space
3: how system to is now yeah. counting Oregon. down to liftoff of Orion on its maiden voyage to the moon. And here we go. 10. Hydrogen burnoff igniters initiate. Seven, six, five, four stage engine start. Three, two, one. Boosters ignition and lift off of Artemis One. We rise together, back to the moon and beyond.
1: We are all part of something incredibly special—the first launch of Artemis.
2: not seen since 1972 during the final Apollo missions.
3: Distant retrograde orbit. We're gonna be about 38,000 miles away from the lunar surface. We're going beyond anywhere we ever went for Apollo. Spacecraft is barreling its way back home after circumnavigating the moon and beyond in an elliptical, distant retrograde orbit. Splashdown. Orion back on Earth.
1: love to see USA. I love to see it. Doug Lenhardt, NASA, first of all, they make the best videos. We are going back. I mean, this is something that uh, I've been waiting for my entire lifetime. It's, it's so cool to be able to talk to you and, and how you fit into this mission. Thank you. Good to talk to you. So uh, Doug, introduce yourself to us all. What do you
3: do over with NASA? So I'm um, Douglas Lenhardt. I work out at the Kennedy Space Center and I am the uh, lead supply chain for the Orion spacecraft. You know,
1: I was uh, I was Googling you. I was looking into your background. I was finding articles from like a decade ago. You've been working on this thing for quite some time now. What's been uh, what's gone into putting this project together, putting Orion together?
3: Yeah, so I joined Orion back in two thousand eight. We had a little hiccups there when Obama came in. You know, he canceled the Constellation program, didn't cancel Orion. So Orion's uh, been continuing on since then. Uh, you know, we've been working for the. Uh, you have to do abort you have to do abort scenarios and stuff to make sure the astronauts are safe. And so, you know, we've been doing that testing for the past uh, you know 10, 10 years and so. And uh, a lot goes into building Orion, as you can imagine. It's you know it's 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 not as simple as something breaks on your spacecraft, you just go to the local uh, auto parts store and pick up a pick up a spare and go fix your car, or your truck. You know, it has to work, and there has to be backup systems. So. Uh, you know, it's very complex uh, spacecraft, and but it has to be because you know the there's really not many much error or margin for error on the way to the moon and on the way back.
1: Well, Doug, this is a show for supply chain dorks, and you're in the right place being involved in the supply chain over in NASA. What does someone involved in the supply chain in Orion have to do? What do you what do you have to make what do you have to make sure you have and what works for all this?
3: Yeah, so the so the engineers they go to design the actual spacecraft, which consists of. Approximately ten thousand different parts. Well, those those parts aren't just magically made. Uh, different suppliers from around the country actually supply those, uh, make those parts, and then supply them. So, when these uh, companies all around the country, all fifty states, when they're done with their uh, part, then they have to deliver it to the Kennedy Space Center, and that's where our contractor Lockheed Martin actually assembles the the spacecraft. And so, my job is to make sure that these uh, manufacturers and suppliers. Uh, deliver on time so we can launch on time.
1: How many manufacturers and suppliers are we talking about? There's got to be a ton of parts in this.
3: Yeah. Like you said, there's a, there's, a, there's a around 10,000 parts. Wow. I don't have the exact number of suppliers, but we have suppliers in all 50 states. So that could tell you how many suppliers we have. It's in the hundreds.
1: Interesting. And this thing, I mean, you're launching a semi-truck into a fully loaded semi-truck into space. is Artemis II, 78,000 pounds.
3: Yes. Right. So, and the, uh, the Orion spacecraft actually consists of different parts. It's, like I said, it's the launch abort system, uh, which is the part that pulls the astronauts away in case of a mishap on the rocket or on the pad. Uh, then there's the Orion spacecraft, which actually consists of the crew module where the astronauts live and work in in space. And then there's also the uh, service module, which the Europeans actually built for us. So not only do we have all 50 suppliers, we also have a spacecraft basically being built by the Europeans in Europe. And uh, that comes down to the Kennedy Space Center, too. And uh, that's actually where most of our fuel and and like the uh, oxygen is kept for the astronauts on the way to the moon and on the way back. How, how much planning
1: is involved in in all this?
3: So it's a ton of planning. So that's that's our number one goal, because obviously, if you you know, if if you have a part that takes six months to build, you've you've got to make sure you've got it on contract long before that six months is up before you need it. And then, so you got to give them that six months. Then you got to give them that transportation time and the shipping and receiving time and the inspection time. So uh, most of the Orion parts are ordered a year to two years before they're actually needed.
1: And this, like I was reading an article, I think it was dated like 2010 or 2012. How long have you been putting this together and how many different Orions have there been? Has this been the same thing that you've been building and improving? Or has there been like Orion 1, Orion 2, Orion
3: 4? Yeah, so, so I've been working. I came over to work on Orion in 2008, and uh, there's been a little bit of different iterations, but it's basically the same. Like I said, one of the ones we did in 2009, I believe, or 2010, we did what's called PA1, which was just what they call a boilerplate Orion. So it wasn't a it wasn't a real space capsule that can take people to space, but it was to test out the abort system. Then we did a mission called EFT1, and back in December of 2014. Uh, and that was sort of, that was a flight vehicle, but it didn't have any crew on it. And that was to test out the Orion heat shield, just went around the Earth's orbit a couple times and then came back, uh, worked really well, but we didn't have SLS, wasn't ready yet. It went on a, uh, a ULA rocket at that point, unmanned rocket. And then as you can see, we did actually in 2019, I believe we did what's called the Ascent 2, which was testing uh, the uh, abort system on, a, on an actual launch. So we had a rocket launch the spacecraft and uh, it pulled it off to show what it would do in in an actual emergency. And then as you just saw the video there, we just had Artemis one, which was fantastic. That was an actual flight vehicle that would would carry astronauts. It didn't have all the systems, but it had 95% of the systems in there. Uh, Went around the moon. Those pictures were, you know, just amazing to see it going around the moon and come back and SLS is ready. And and so right now our next, our next Orion is Artemis two, which will have crew in it. Uh, the It'll have four crew members in it.
1: What did you learn from the first mission? Did you have to change anything? Were there some like, okay, this is great, but we got to make a few tweaks or changes here.
3: Well, that's the good thing. So in general, the mission worked actually really, really well. There were some, you know, some anomalies uh, that we're working through, but in general it, it worked phenomenal and, and it really worked well. Same thing with SLS. They worked really good, uh, you know, and uh, the, I'd say the, the biggest thing is we didn't have crew on it. So uh, the next one will have crew. So we'll be testing out all those uh, systems that are needed for crew, the oxygen, you know, and the, uh, the air conditioning and the heating and all those good things. Uh, but the actual flight itself went off really well. It was more what we learned more wasn't our design, you know, any design issues or anything. It was more how to operate the spacecraft in orbit because all spacecraft operate a little bit differently
1: how big is this thing? Cause I've been to the space museum in Huntsville and I'm a six to 200 pound plus man. And I've gotten inside the little capsule from like the, uh, you know, original moon missions. And there's not a ton of space inside those things.
3: Yeah, this one's it, it's like 25% bigger than Apollo. So it is much better, bigger. And the Apollo capsules were designed for or shorter people. I think, yeah, you know, you had to be below six feet, something like that. Now they, they can accommodate much taller, you know, people and stuff. But yeah, it's definitely cramped Four people in there. I believe they I believe they accommodated to, you know, a, a, a small one bedroom, you know, a small bedroom. Yeah,
1: this, I was, I'm looking at your uh, crew module fun facts, and it said from an anthropomorphic standpoint, Orion designed to accommodate 99% of the human population. You can go from uh, someone as small as 4'10", all the way up to six foot five inch male and get some uh, pro players up there.
3: Exactly. Like you said, that's because we want to be inclusive. So we want, you know, what we learned from Apollo is, you know, you don't want to just have those, you know, five foot nine uh, male astronauts. So now we can accommodate all those sizes, which is which is pretty cool.
1: Now, this is a is this a three week mission or is the 21 days that this can potentially be out there? Is that that's like the maximum, right? How long are, how long is the, is the mission, the Artemis 2 mission going to be?
3: Uh, so I don't have that number offhand. I believe it's, I believe it's going to be ten days, ten to twelve days. It, part of it depends on when they launch, on what time frame they launch in, but I believe it's in the ten to twelve day range. Is there a is there a toilet on board? How do you how do you relieve yourself up in space? There is, there is. There's a actual bathroom, and they have a privacy curtain to uh, to let them go. But as you can imagine, it's not too much privacy there when there's three three other people right next to you. So.
1: No, it's funny. Like a lot of times, people think like private jets, for example, are the most glamorous thing. I've been on a few private jets, and you get in your head, it's like you know the NBA player in a seven forty seven that has like leather seats and there's a bar. No, in like most private jets, you're in a little seat, and there's like a little bathroom that's almost like like a bucket. I can imagine the capsules not much better. When we think of the supply chain of this, though, what was like? What's the hardest part of it? What's the hardest part to fulfill? What's the hardest part to make come together?
3: So from a supply chain, the the hardest part, like you said, is the planning to make sure the parts show up at Kennedy Space Center when they're needed. And uh, like I said, so that, you know, some parts take a day to make, some parts take months and years to make. And so the hardest part is figuring out how long does it take to actually get that part available from the supplier and then backtrack that into will it show up in time when the Lockheed Martin people down at the Kennedy Space Center need to uh, put it in the spacecraft there and so that's the hardest part is figuring that out. And uh, and as you probably know from your show here, uh, you know, uh, COVID just destroyed that. And so, you know, things that normally would have taken, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever are taking months now. And so we've got to adjust for that and and, and figure out ways around that to say, OK, this is taking a lot longer than, we, than, than it was pre-COVID. So we've got to bake that in now to our build plan.
1: Yeah, how did you how did you manage that shipping crisis? That's really interesting to think about from NASA's perspective.
3: Yeah, so we just we just had to deal with it like everyone else. I mean, there's not much you can do if if, you know, shipping is not available or uh, you know, supplies just aren't available. There's really not much you can do. We we had to just adjust the the build sequence and try and build what we had on hand and get as far along working as we can. But I mean, we did launch Artemis 1 during the COVID, so uh, you know, we were able to to get over that hump and, and get around that, uh, but it did definitely hurt us in the in the future missions.
1: How about the launch abort system? That's obviously a big factor in case something goes wrong. Does does, it, does that work on returns too? Like when we were watching, yeah, let show this video right here with it with it landing. Is that part of the launch? Is that or that's the return system? That's completely different than launch abort or no?
3: Correct. It's completely different. The launch abort system is only there for emergencies at the pad before they launch. If the rocket were to explode, you know, getting pre launch. It can pull the capsule away and the astronauts are then safe uh, and then or any way up to orbit. So it's only it's only good for the first, you know, uh, five to six minutes of the flight, actually. But it's a you know, it's a crew safety thing. So if something goes wrong with that rocket on the way to orbit, uh, that launch board system will pull the capsule away and the astronauts will survive. I don't know if you I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you've you know how much you guys follow space, but I don't know, like 10 years ago now. The Russians had that where on the way to orbit in one of their Soyuz spacecraft, uh, they had a problem with the rocket and the, the launch abort system pulled the capsule away. The astronauts returned safely. And I think it was like a month or two months later, that same crew then relaunched back to the International Space Station. Uh, so that launch abort system is really critical, a critical safety feature that we've designed in. What was it like seeing that first Artemis
1: mission? Were you, were you completely nervous? Were you proud? How, how did that feel?
3: Yeah, it was, it was absolutely amazing. So uh, you know they they had they had to postpone the launch a couple of times for technical issues and glitches and stuff. And uh, so you know we were we were waiting along. And uh, yeah, when it when it got when it got down to ten t minus ten seconds, that's when my that's when my wife looked at me and she's like, "Are you crying?" And I said, "Yes." Like we're actually going to launch this thing. And so I mean, it, to see that whole crowd there and know that what you worked on, you know, for 10 years, 10, 12, 15 years in some places for people to actually see it launch was, was just amazing. I mean, it it was, it was definitely a culmination of the crew uh, of a career. And then, you know, obviously, so the next one's going to actually have a crew on it. So that one's going to be even more amazing because, you know, human beings are on it going to another world. And then the Artemis 3 mission, when we actually land on the moon, I mean, that they, we just keep upping ourselves here at this point. You know, I gotta tell you, I
1: have six and eight-year-old boys, and when that first mission made up, I, wa- I made them watch it on the NASA streaming channel, and it's, it's such an inspiration. It's an inspiration to me as someone who grew up watching and admiring space, it's an inspiration to my kids. And we actually have a great video right now. I want to roll, because I got a question I got to ask you after it. Play this inspiration video. This is really cool. We got some children that are on a bus, and they're gonna come here the vehicle assembly building and the administrator and i are going to jump on the bus
3: and surprise them we're going to give them the opportunity to come in and go up the elevator with the rocket
4: hey guys would you like to see a moon rocket yeah. Yeah. Because it is the future
3: of our country, indeed the future of the world. Uh, And we saw what our space program does for science and technology and engineering and mathematics. We saw that in the Apollo generation. All right, guys, what do you think?
1: I hope to achieve today is uh, inspiring a new generation. I mean, the more people that we can get to see up close and personal with this rocket, it, it just it's awe-inspiring, and I cannot wait till the launch. When America sees our rocket actually launch on a test flight to the moon, you know, it's just going to spark a whole new push for what we are doing.
2: Best day of my whole life ever. It's going to be incredible. It was a dream come true
1: is definitely going to the moon. I think it's really amazing. And I was actually
4: really excited because I've never seen a rocket like this close up. Now we have the Artemis generation. This is a new generation of us going back to the moon to
0: learn and live, and then we're going to Mars. Artemis!
1: You know, when they took that shuttle away, it felt like my childhood was like squash, so it's so cool that that NASA's back? Because that's what it's all about. This in- inspires the kids to show them that there's hope for the future. They called it the Artemis generation. Do you at NASA think about that a lot, about what this means to the next generation?
3: Oh, absolutely. So you know, those kids on that bus, that was me in the 70s and 80s. I would go to the Kennedy Space Center and I said, one day I'm going to work there. And so on my first day at the job, my boss said, you know, I started with on the space shuttle program in 2004. And my boss said, hey, take them into the space shuttle. And I said, wow, I mean, that, that was it. You know, that's the dream. And then the reason I came to Orion is, is because they're like, we're going to land people on back on the moon again. And I said, you know, I, I wasn't born when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. So, and I said, you know, I'm, I want to be around. I need to be part of that program. Uh, So most people at NASA understand that significance. Most of us have that passion. That's been our dream. Uh, Most of our Lives is is to work for NASA and to put people into space and to uh, and now to land people back on the moon. I mean, it's it's just amazing place to work.
1: Ah, I love to hear. When's the launch? When is when are we going up with Artemis two?
3: So Artemis two is right now. We're looking at uh, late maybe December twenty twenty four. Like uh, you, I don't know if you've had that picture up with the uh, crew there with the new crew there. The the spacecraft is nearing it, nearing its end of where it's ready to go, and then we'll fuel it up. Put the launch board system on it, made it to the rocket, and and get it ready to go for launch. And hopefully, December twenty twenty four will be the launch.
1: That is so amazing. Now, I have two last questions before I let you go. First, is should we be concerned at all about the aliens that they just showed in Mexico?
3: Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay,
3: <laughs> all right. When, when you go when you go talk to kids, that's the number one question uh, is you know Do you believe in aliens and do aliens exist? And I say I can't. You know, as, as official NASA person i can't speak to that
1: yeah i mean i i think that i mean i don't know if we found aliens but i think that if the world is, is the the space looks as vast as it is there's a good chance that they could be somewhere out there how how about this one what is your favorite space movie
3: oh uh, so my favorite space movie is Apollo 13 they did a really good job of that it's pretty accurate they they tell the story really well and uh i mean even though you you know what's going to happen you're still you're still riding on it at the end uh to, to say that, but, but I would point out if, if you got a second here. So, so one of the cool things with, with your show is when the Orion spacecraft lands and everybody thinks the mission's over, you saw it land there in the Pacific ocean. uh, It comes back into Naval base, San Diego. And we have to get that spacecraft back from San Diego to uh, Florida, Kennedy space center. And the way we do that is we actually put on a truck. And so we truck it back across the country there. It's a, it's a super wide load. So we got to get all those permits, all that stuff your audience is probably familiar with. Uh, we got to do that as NASA, and uh, we truck it back. We truck the Orion spacecraft back to the Kennedy Space Center uh, to get it to get it uh, deserviced and 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 get it ready for you know what's it in the future. Well, a little cowboy for that. If you made it to the moon,
1: a truck brought you. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Good back. luck on the mission, and uh, go USA.
3: Exactly. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much. All right, everybody. How about a little drone delivery? Meanwhile. This is going to happen over in uh, Louisiana and Florida, a little drone flying around. Alligator doesn't really take kind to it being over in its territory. Let's see what's going to happen. He's going to go for it. He's got it. Love it. Great delivery. So you don't need to drop the packages down. You just need an alligator to retrieve it for you. All right. Our next guest is Mike Tetorowicz, Enterprise Sales Team at Uber Business. Mike, did I get the last name okay? My mother is Polish.
0: Better than most. So that's got to be the Polish connection. T- Tatarowicz is the, I guess, the proper way. But uh, I've learned to respond to, you know, to Tarowicz, uh, Hey, hey, guy. Pretty, pretty much whatever at this point. Yeah. Hey, guy.
1: Well, you might not be a household name is, but Uber is a household name. Right. But many may not know about its enterprise arm. I've you've been sponsoring us this month. I've been talking about I've been talking about what they can do for drivers. It's Uber for business. Can you give us a little bit of an overview?
0: Yeah. So, you know, when you think of Uber in that household name type of way, typically you're thinking about how to book a ride or order food for yourself or a small group. It's a, it's a very personal experience. Uh, you're, you're thinking about using your own apps. Uber for Business is all about adapting and scaling that thought process to the needs of businesses. So applying that to logistics, we think of clients rolling out something like our Uber Central platform. Uber Central uh, is a platform that allows people to book rides on behalf of other people via a desktop computer. So transactions are charged to a single company account. There's simplified expense and cost center uh, fields that that you can use to to drive efficiency. The rider doesn't even have to have the Uber app. Uh, They just get updates via SMS text message or phone call. Generally, though, you know, the focus uh, of Uber for Business is providing, uh, you know, the the Uber solutions we all know and love at scale uh, to businesses.
1: Now, what about the people out there who are like, yeah, or Mike, we, we know about Uber Freight. We, we know what Uber does with freight. This is something
0: completely different, right? Totally different. So I, I actually started with at Uber with Uber Freight uh, over five years ago. Uh, you know, I worked. I worked. Um, in carrier partnerships during the duration, I joined Uber for Business a couple of years ago. It's a completely different part of the business. So, at its core, like, like I said before, Uber for Business is all about scaling our mobility and solutions across uh, businesses to match a variety of use cases. Uber Freight is devoted to you know matching uh, trucks and and trucks to shippers, basically, uh, via a, a managed transportation service. So in a nutshell, Uber, Uber for business is focused on moving people and food, whereas Uber Freight is focused on moving truckloads of goods, is how, I, how I'd say it. Very separate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Instead of going on Uber Freight and finding a load, this is, this is once your driver is parked or somewhere where they need to go, this is transporting the actual people. What kind of impacts can a business expect from partnering with you guys?
0: Well, so first and foremost, uh, efficiency. Uh, Uber for Business adds an entirely new level of efficiency to your business. And in the logistics space, efficiency is everything. So consistent, competitive pricing. uh, That's true on the Uber app to begin with, but uh, you scale that across Uber for Business, you're getting that same benefit to all of your business travel or meal delivery needs. Uh, simplified billing, expense, cost center management, having a single account or a handful of accounts where uh, all corporate travel can be allocated uh, you know, is, is very efficient for, for managing those expenses. And then increased admin visibility on those transactions, reporting when necessary. Uh, time is something that I probably think about most having worked in uh, specifically carrier sales for for such a long time uh, time is everything in logistics you it's not you know every business will say they don't like to wait that goes without saying logistics is is the one industry where I I don't I, you just can't wait you know the, the driver's got to move you got to pick up drop-off deadlines home time hours of service there's there's all sorts of considerations that you have to take into account. So when you're using, uh, you know, the most used rideshare platform in America, it's, you know, that can possibly translate to, to more coverage and faster pickup times, let alone the, the on-demand nature of the service. Uh, so yeah, time is probably, you know, one of the top efficiencies that, uh, you know, we hear feedback on and uh, try, you know, where we try to deliver value. But uh, you know, there there are other aspects of it too, like sustainability reporting and uh, safety is obviously a core of of Uber's business. Things like that too.
1: Are any uh, LSPs, logistics companies, working with you? Fleets working with you? Have you heard any feedback?
0: Yes. So many uh, logistics companies, many fleets are are working with us. Um, you know, and that that spans rail as well uh, and and air. So feedback it. it you know, a lot of it is very similar to what to what I was just talking about. Uh, they love having a dedicated point of contact, just like they might love having a dedicated point of contact on their sales or carrier operations side, uh, where they can get fast answers and quick resolution to to issues, and have uh, you know a special phone number or email address to reach out to sh- should they have to. Uh, the if other efficiencies like simplified billing and expense management, uh, that's very useful. If right now, uh, let's say a driver has a breakdown and they're trying to move that driver uh, where, wherever he might need to go, somebody might pull out their Uber app and try to book a ride for the driver. But then you know the updates are coming to the Uber app of that user, and they're trying to text text them over to the driver, and then that doesn't even account for the whole expensing portion of it uh having a a single solution where they can just log into the company account on their workstation book the ride all of those variables are accounted for Uh, you know these are all very real uh solutions that that we've heard very positive feedback on
1: cool any any plans to expand further within the industry
0: I mean, sky's the limit. Uh, we've we've received lots of great feedback uh, personally coming from the industry, and being able to see Uber for Business deliver clear value uh, in a different way than Uber Freight. Uh, that's very motivating for me to continue pushing the ball forward and 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 helping build this uh, segment of our business and. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there aren't any future plans that I can discuss uh, sure. in, in specifics, per, per se. But, yes, uh, many future plans, and, uh, you know, it's very exciting to be part of those plans.
1: Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Everyone go check out Uber for Business. Get your drivers where they need to go. It's the last day of National Truck Driver Appreciation Week, but you should make that year long. Appreciate your drivers. Get them where they need to be. Thanks, Mike. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Take it easy. You too, man. No ride, no app, no problem with Uber Central on Uber for Business. You can help your drivers get where they need to go after dropping off the truck. Schedule rides, control costs, and access 24-7 support in an easy-to-use dashboard. Learn more at Uber for Business. Uh, let's see. Attention, tank truck industry carriers, private fleets, and suppliers. Have you registered for this October's Tank Truck Week 2023? It's the largest tank truck event in North America for cutting-edge innovation, powerhouse networking, and keeping up with industry trends and insights. Content and value for executive safety, HR, maintenance, tank wash, purchasing, and more help driver help drive the tank truck industry forward. October 8th through 11th this year in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's worth sending a representative. Register today at TankTruck.org dot uh slash tank truck week also shout out to uh the tiktok audience out here thanks for the the diamonds guys i don't acknowledge you enough shout out tiktok all the live streaming audience and of course all of you on demand elsewhere i hope i hope this wasn't larry this morning (laughs) definitely wasn't me you know this isn't gonna end well the videos are away already Let's see if he can figure this one out. He's going for it. Ah, oh, too much momentum, though. Goes right into the bushes. Oh, Not how you want to end the week. Not how you want to end the week. We're going to end it strong, though, with Larry Long, CEO over at General Trucking Inc. Larry, I stayed up till uh, midnight last night. I heard the action was going to happen. They released the plants at 10. We knew at midnight we'd start seeing some video, and we would start seeing uh, people walking out. Over at these locations, how you doing today, man? Good, and yourself. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I mean, this there's been uh, it's there's been a lot going on in freight since June. It's it's our profession that we
5: chose. Nobody forced us here, right? Uh, you know, I, I guess you know. To my text message to you last night, they had a lot of bullets in their um, arsenal. There, they could have struck everywhere. They could have. Uh, just struck one company like they did back in 2019 GAM. Um, but of all the bullets in their arsenal, I think they chose the um, less lethal one to out the gate, which gives us, gives me hope that they'll settle this thing a little quicker. Cause we talked a couple of weeks ago, Tim, and they were so far apart that it seemed like a strike was inevitable. But as we got closer, it seemed to they came a little closer, but the Delta was still there. Those three plants that they, they took um are it, it hurts it's gonna it's it's hurting GM uh, Stellantis and Ford today, but it wasn't their A1 plants. Like I I there was rumor that they were going to strike the power chains, which power powertrain plants which would have been catastrophic. Everybody would have had to shut down. You don't have an engine, you can't make a car. But um I, I don't know. I just know depending on who you talk to um, or which sites you're looking at there's 10 to 20 downstream jobs for every uaw member so you're talking not just the 150 160 uaw members that could eventually all go out on strike but you know between a million and two million downstream jobs um, that kind of would just stop at that point so
1: That's Toledo. uh, That's Toledo walking out right now. They walked out right after midnight when that clock struck. They were... uh one of the big organizations we knew this well you texted me a couple days ago and you said look there's like a 101 percent chance this is happening uh, Ford CEO Jim Farley yesterday said're uh, with no talks going on and the automakers received no counter offer to its plan to offer 20% hikes the last update from the UA- UAW is that they had reduced their act from I believe 40 to 36 percent so we are 16 percent or 16 points away on this thing.
5: Yeah. So there's a lot of dynamics going involved in this. First of all, the, the UAW leader, uh, Sean Fain is his name. Um, solid guy, but I wouldn't want to be across the negotiating table from it because he brings facts to the table. You know what I mean? And the public support and sentiment seems to be behind the workers in this aspect. And so, um, you know, they've reported uh, the big three reported record warnings quarter after quarter after quarter. So, um, you know, I think one of the big sticking points, uh, and if you see the signs, they talk about uh, the tier system. Um, this goes back to, what, 08, 09, when everything almost collapsed in the auto industry. Um, they had a tier system. And from bringing, so you could have a guy that's uh, just there a year doing the same job as somebody else, and uh, he's making significantly less. Uh, and it takes you nine years to get to the top tier. So they, they, I think that's something that the, the companies have some flexibility on as far as shrinking that down. But hopefully, because uh, like right now, this, the, the, I don't have a visibility with general trucking at any one of those plants. So it really, it's business as usual today for us. Um, they start, and and the last words out of Sean Fain's mouth last night was, um, yes, we're striking these three and we could walk out everywhere. So um, that could be catastrophic. Uh, like I said, down the line, you're talking anywhere from a million to two million people. I have, we we, we plan for the catastrophic here. And uh, I'm just going to pivot uh, a good percentage of my drivers into non-automotive. The problem with that is uh, the spot market has been just dropping. Through, yeah. Through, you know, yeah, So my margins will be affected. Uh, how long that strike lasts will... Will dictate what we do from there.
1: We'll get into all that. So, this is, and so for those of you who are just waking up to this news or you're just getting caught up, you hadn't paid attention until you heard the strike was happening, you may not know exactly how this works. So, the entire UAW didn't walk out. What they did instead is they're doing these strategic strikes at several plants. The plants that they chose, and thank you Sean Mitchell, he actually broke these down really well on Twitter, was Ford's Michigan assembly plan. It makes Ranger mid-size pickup and Bronco off-road SUVs and employs about 4,600 workers. They walked off. We got Stellantis Toledo Assembly Complex. It's home to the Jeep Wrangler and the Gladiator. That's about 4,174 hourly workers walked off. And then we have GM's Wentzville Assembly. It's outside St. Louis. It uh, does the Chevrolet Colorado and the GMC Canyon midsize trucks, as well as the Chevrolet Express and the GMC Savannah full size vans. That's another 4,114 workers. Interesting attacks. Not Tatawanda, though.
5: Yeah, that was, yeah, we talked about that. They, They make, I think, eight different engines for eight different vehicles there. That would have, in essence, shut down those plants without them people having to go on strike, which would have been. Uh, you know, there's, there's, everybody's been talked about. So the strike fund was built here, but now they're paying out like five hundred dollars a, a week uh, versus the two fifty. So they had enough to, to stay out almost three months. Um, so hopefully this brings everybody to the table because those three companies are losing money today. They're just hemorrhaging it. Those three uh, those well, three is- plants. So
1: I mean, this move was obviously like, hey, pay attention to us. We're not going to critically wound you just yet, but we're showing you what we can do. And, you know, we have levers that we can pull. Is that what we is that what we're seeing here? They're starting the negotiations. That's, they want to keep room to escalate.
5: Yeah, you said it more eloquently than I could. But that's exactly what happened. It's like, hey, we can do this all over. You don't want that. So let's sit and talk about stuff and negotiate.
1: Um but Larry, do they want so, to, to the audio manufacturers? Because you texted me a great point, and it was about their inventory levels, which are pretty high. So they have a little bit of an incentive to allow this to bleed a little bit.
5: To bleed a little bit. That's that's uh the incentive that nobody's really talking about on that, on the automotive side. because uh, I kind of watch that. Uh, there are like 54, 55 cars on average across the country. That uh, then they to it makes the dealerships a little uh, nervous because then they have to start. Offering discounts, but if I, if you look, if you're going to go buy a truck, you're going to be buying. You're in a buying mode. Uh, if there's only a couple options there, they don't really have to offer you a whole lot. So the margins get higher uh, when those days on lot or cars on lot uh, inventory, new cars that is, um, stays in the thirties, the forties.
1: Let's talk about the impact here. You mentioned something really interesting, and, and I didn't want to just brush past, it. I actually want to expand upon it, was you said we have to make plans to survive during this, and how we're going to do that is our guys are going to move into more general freight. What's this going to do to, like, equipment, trailer rentals, and the spot market?
5: Well, I'm not – you know, I, that's – every other company that does the automotive is doing that. Right? Yeah. Right, not, right, not right now to a big extent because – like I said, I don't have a we don't have a general truck and doesn't have a footprint at any of those plants. But if you do, you're starting to look for other things because, one, you want to keep those drivers on. You know, right? if they've set for two or three weeks, they're going to go work somewhere else. And then when they do come back up, you're you're responsible for covering those lanes. So, um, yeah, with just anything that's like supply and demand, you get an influx of drivers and or, or power available price is going to go down and it's been going down you know what i mean so um it's it's a crazy dynamic because fuel ain't going down <laughs> neither is the cost of insurance uh so it's it's a tough spot to be in hopefully the, you know the, the strike doesn't last for long
1: now that's, do these uh, do these companies are they going to have to rent trailers do they have the equipment to handle this what's that going to do there
5: well that's that's a good point they uh you know, since they just struck these three instead of a general walkout all over, it's business as usual. And they can walk out in a minute. And now you're stuck with a trailer with either parts or empty racks on it. It's not a whole lot of empties available. So, yes, you'd have to go and, and rent some trailers. Um, so it could be a boon to those Penske and the rest of them out there that rent those trailers or. Uh, but fortunately for us, uh, that's not an issue.
1: No. What about people who are, who are caught out there with freight at these places? Uh, can you guys show that picture from Paula Gardner? It's a tweet. It says, truck trying to turn into striking Michigan assembly. I can't believe you're doing this. Striking worker yells at us, and this truck is trying to bring it back. You know, when I was back at FedEx Trade Networks, there was a strike in our lot. It had nothing to do with FedEx, but I had to cross through that lot just to get to my desk. And, you know, going through strike action can be – they can get very aggressive. I had things thrown at me. I obviously had uh, things yelled at me. I mean, I've heard worse <laughs> in Boston before. I got caught an idiot by a parrot once so you're not going to insult me i got birds already coming at me but i mean it can be dangerous for some of these drivers right it could be uh
5: again i guess the longer it goes the more you'll see tensions like that on the line um grow uh these guys make they make pretty good money the average uh, uaw assembly line worker that's been there beyond the the, the nine years it's about ninety four thousand dollars the median income's like 101 so You go from that kind of paycheck to a $500 paycheck, that's going to hurt. And the longer that continues, the uh, emotions get the better of us, and you have issues just like that.
1: The ATA has released a statement on the UAW strike. They said, today, American Trucking Association's President and CEO Chris Spear issued the following statement in response to United Auto Workers' decision to strike at all three Detroit car companies. And this is his quote. It says, "Is this what the most pro-union president in history wants for America? Putting companies out of business, people out of jobs, work stoppages, and now crippling strikes. Is this our future? We want nothing to do with it. Does anyone think demanding a forty percent pay raise is reasonable, let alone realistic? Nor is a four-day work week paid at forty hours. How exactly do you assemble how exactly do you assemble vehicles without your employees? President, the UAW needs to stop showboating off the heels of this administration's union-based agenda. comes to the table." and put our nation's economy first big words from the ata
5: hmm. well you know i would say he's actually left uh, and i'm talking about sean fain he's left of the administration um, yeah. you know he's doing a, a, a rally tonight downtown detroit with uh none other than bernie sanders i think bernie sanders everybody would agree is far as is left of the administration at this point maybe not maybe they're closer but um you know, he self-described uh, Democratic Socialist. So um, this guy needs a, a victory because he just got elected uh, to head the union in March, I believe it was. And he needs a victory. And the guy is actually a really smart guy. He's uh, really good and got a big presence on social media. So last night's thing, he announced uh, what was happening at 10 o'clock on his Facebook Live and had it posted to Twitter and everything. And he's talking to these people and. Um, like i said the, the the public is is supporting the union and and union membership voted I think it was three Fridays ago uh, not like 97 to to three to to authorize them to go on strike so um, you know typically you've gone into these type of situations and and everybody had their heels dug in and you could find good and bad on both sides this one here seems like uh, the big three are going to have to really and they can't go with that 40. That was ridiculous. 46, I would think, and a four day work week that that was just stuff that they threw out there. But it was the same way with the the initial contract offers of 10 percent over 10 or over four years, like two and a half. So the bad part is, is if they agree to too much. You know, what's a company to do to keep their margins healthy? They do yeah. what done, they've done in the past and move offshore.
1: So does Biden step in? So Biden, he kind of brushed past what happened with yellow because then he had the UPS news a couple weeks later. He made a big statement about how collective bargaining works and, and, and this is great. And the UPS thing got done. But now we're at another strike. A week ago, Biden said he predicted it wouldn't happen. Uh, we, all of us in the industry were predicting it would because we follow the industry and we are talking to people who are telling us that. And we don't need to throw up any sort of smoke screens. Uh, do you think the government steps in here? He, he. it would,
5: like you said, he's a big pro-union guy. So if he was to step in and force them to go to work and then, you know, put through mediation, that would probably not be a wise decision. If I was his political campaign manager heading into 2024, I'd say no. What I did see yesterday was the administration. It was through leaks. Nobody officially come out and said it, that they were looking at a couple different support mechanisms for that one to two million people that aren't UAW workers that feed those plants. You know what I mean? One of them was uh, uh, something through the labor department, maybe in in grants. And the other one was uh, through the small business association with some uh, interest-friendly loans. But uh, again, that was just something that was thrown out there, nothing detailed, and it was all people uh, off the record.
1: A lot of comments here. Steve Elliott says, how can the automakers afford the 36 percent wage increase? Isn't this going to drive up inflationary pressures? Who's getting these types of wage increases and what other industries or sectors will use this as a yardstick to grain increases at a similar rate?
5: We're we're already there. I think everybody's using what the IBT got for the for the UPS workers. I mean, that was a that was a, a big Big bump for them, but he has got a valid point. This is going to not only cost us more when we end up buying that those cars, um, but it will have some inflationary pressure, and and that's one of the things that the union is talking about. Hey, inflation's so high, we need cost of living increase in baked into that. So, uh, and the, I think the other thing to look at is that's at the end of the contract. They're, they're giving you the total. Okay, forty percent over the four years. Yeah. is unrealistic per year, but, you know, five, maybe six. I don't know. I'm glad I'm not at the table.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Jeff Dixon, uh, Jeff Dickinson, he said, this is going to hurt. Let the negotiations begin. Scott Grossglass says, well, this strike is certainly a bold move. It's going to be interesting to watch these negotiations and see who blinks first. How long do you think this is going to go? Who's going to blink first?
5: First of all, they've never done this before in the 80-year history. So whatever I tell you or anybody that claims to be an expert, we're all just giving ed- educated guesses. I would say four to six weeks, best-case scenario, two. Worst-case scenario, it stretches beyond six, and then everybody starts to feel the pain. Not just that; those two and three million, you know what I mean, or one and two million downstream. Everybody will feel this. So I don't care whether you're here in Michigan, which is where I'm at today, or you just got off a plane in Oklahoma City you are going to feel that.
1: You sure are. Well, a, look, a dispatcher put this out. This is something to be mindful of, too, if you're sending your drivers out there. He said on this uh, power-only load, it said, there is a high probability that the driver will have to cross a picket line, in which case he or she will need to be comfortable and willing to do this. The driver will have to call the site about two to three miles out to come out and move the picketer so the driver can make his delivery pickup. I would recommend turning down that type of load, wouldn't you? Yeah, they'd have to.
5: I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, no matter what you paid me, put my driver at risk like that. I don't think so.
1: No, I don't. It'd, don't. Have to
5: be, it'd have to
1: be something totally different. You know what I mean? Um, our own, uh, our own th- Craig Fuller, he said, if I were a trucking company, I would reject any loads inbound to Detroit or Northern Ohio this week. Auto is one of the largest sectors served by trucking, and the UAW strike is going to shut down some of Detroit's auto production starting tomorrow. Uh, there could be thousands of trucks sitting empty for something looking to haul. Would you agree?
5: Yeah. If you got an empty trailer to our point earlier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what, what should we look out for now? What, what's, what's next, Larry? What do we, what should we all watch as we wait for this situation to resolve? I would watch this
5: evening and see um, after this rally, the rally is at 5 PM Eastern. So I I don't think we'll have any resolution before then. Um, And then throughout the evening I'll watch now more, uh, if he calls more pe- more locals, he called it to stand up, right? And it, I think that was the, the terminology that Sean used last night. If he asks more locals to stand up, then things have escalated. If um, it remains the three through the just the three plants throughout the weekend, hopefully they can bundle something up, and Monday we get good news. I wouldn't anticipate either or happening this this weekend. You know I mean I think this is a nice body blow landed by the UAW and we'll see how the uh, rest of the battle plays out.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Let's hope that it's not it's not too long, but it definitely sounds like it could go a couple weeks. Larry, it is Friday though, so we have a little good news, bad news to get to a little a little lighthearted, I got a couple topics to throw at you. Hit the bumper. Hit the bumper.
4: Hit the bumper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, talking
1: to, I'm, talking, I'm talking to the voices in my head. The guy's back here. What's up, dudes? They're there. We were supposed to have another guest on, but he never showed up, so we didn't really have time for him. Anyway, this is the first one though. I want to show you this video and know if you've heard about this is I'll roll the truck brooding scam
4: so he would wait for the drivers to fall asleep in their trucks parked along this curb here. He would walk up to the tires closest to the curb, put one boot on each of these two tires, then wake the drivers up and tell them they had to pay him hundreds of dollars to take the boots off. Well, it worked until one driver felt like something wasn't right and called police.
3: What are the key to those um, boots?
4: South Fulton police arrested Jadil Israel for pretending to work for a company that boots truck drivers who park illegally. When police searched Israel, they also found a gun. Wow. A lot of trucks. About 3 3.45 in the morning, um, I heard somebody tapping on the side of the truck. Tell yeah, we got a boot on your truck. You got the paper for I can take that boot off. The price $575. One victim decided to call Clean Energy, the company that allows drivers to fill up their trucks, then park and rest on their property. We, all their parking lot fills up, so they allow drivers to park along the curbs. They would never drivers. When that victim called police Sunday morning, investigators learned there were more victims who did actually pay the money. His company paid Israel seven hundred and fifty dollars. That? That's, that's it like, oh, You the nah, way y'all from Israel is now facing two charges theft by deception and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. Police did not have to look far to find Israel. He was parked in this white truck, sleeping in the same parking lot where he was booting drivers.
3: Good thing criminals are dumb sometimes, right? We can drop
1: this video. I think we get the point. Larry, good thing criminals are kind of dumb sometimes. Have you, any of your drivers, experienced this yet?
5: Not that, no. Um, We had. Two that I can remember off the top of my head. One most recently is the driver. She was actually parked in Waco, Texas, and she went to uh work out at Planet Fitness and the owner of the lot, even though Planet Fitness said, Yeah, you could park there, uh towed the truck. Um, we had another one where they were doing something with uh they were it was a green green place, uh green green group there where they were deflating the tires. Ooh. But uh yeah. They were they were on the, on the driver's brakes. They were coming out and deflating all the tires.
1: What would you tell a driver if they came out to a suspicious boot like that? What should they do?
5: Anytime anybody's demanding cash right there on the yeah. spot, you should you should probably
1: call your dispatch at, at that point. Yeah, it's it's um, it's uh, concerning that guy has a gun as well that he was armed. They found him with.
5: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's somebody wanting to, to beat him up, I guess, for putting a boot on him anyway.
1: Yeah, you say no. That guy yep. might just pull a pull a gun on you.
5: Pull a gun on you and demand it. Yeah, I get you.
1: Yeah. Well, uh. hey, with this with this big auto strike, this big UAW strike, you think horses could fill in and uh, and and maybe we could go a little bit back in time? I know we started the show going to the moon, but how about a little horsepower? Yeah. That. Look at this. He's getting he's going to get him out of that ditch, Larry. Is that a Clydesdale? That is a Clydesdale. They've needed work since uh, Bud Light has struggled. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how about this we haven't heard about somali pirates for a while look what this tiktoker is advocating for
2: the pirate exchange method is getting us out of the suburbs so listen up class is in session so for anyone confused the somali pirates have an exchange in which you can invest in their pirate raids by buying them weapons or just giving them money okay and then if the raid is successful and they get ransom money from it you get a return I saw this article about a lady who invested a $2,000 rocket launcher and got $75,000 back. That is about a 3,500% return. But as an outsider, right? We can't just invest in the market. I'm pretty sure it's local. So we're going to need a middleman. But we need that middleman to fear us, right? Because otherwise, he's just going to take the money. I would too. So you got to become well-versed in computer security, cybersecurity, SSH keys, because you need to strike fear into his eyes by hacking into one of like 10 computers in Somalia. Once you've done that and convinced him to be on board with your plan by giving him some split of the money, you're going to start transferring money to him to invest in the market and have him diversify that money within the Somali pirate exchange. And from there, you just got to let the Somali pirates do their thing with your money, and you're going to get a huge return on it. And as always, game is indubitably game.
1: It sounds like highly illegal and probably a bad idea, right, Larry? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, put my money there. I think these TikTokers are, are going to get themselves killed. <laughs> Larry, you have here's to do a,
5: something with that hat, though. There, Tim. I was, I mean, I, I'm up here and I have to. I'm a, I'm a Buckeye and have to deal with all this Michigan. But my brothers a UT grad, and I saw that. and I'm like, is that really
1: it? <sighs> well, you know, I'm. I'm they just put me on their marketing advisory board, so I got to represent. Larry, I got to show off the. the look, Larry, where do I be get able, it. Where do people find you in general trucking? We're out of time.
5: Uh, you can reach me at uh, Larry at GeneralTrucking.net. That's my email, and uh, look forward to it. Thanks for uh, having me on, Tim. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for getting us up to speed on what's going on with this strike. Hopefully everything gets resolved after not too much turmoil. Larry, take care. Audience, take care. Thank you for joining us live streamers on demanders. find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find the show at FW what the Truck. Look on uh, Freightways' YouTube. Subscribe to us there or audio wherever you get your podcast at. Take care, and don't be a stranger. See you next week, Leatherface.